Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, October 16th, and this is the weekly market update. The disclaimer, anything that you hear or see on this video or hear on the podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. I am not an investment advisor. This is for informational and educational purposes only. I'm just a guy on the internet. You should do your own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. So before I get started, um, I just want to talk about, uh, again, uh, if you are interested in the reality check, I don't make it part of the YouTube videos anymore because of the fact that uh, some of the things I talk about, the AI on YouTube will not allow. And so my videos get suppressed or I get warnings. And so what I did is I have, I've, I do the reality checks as a separate video series. There are links below that will take you to the, um, the other services that will allow for discussion, free speech. And uh, I encourage if that's something that you're interested in, again, if you're new to this channel, uh, you may not particularly care for the reality check. It's very highly politicized. It's very highly opinionated. It's going to be very contrary to what uh, the mainstream discusses. So know that going in. Most of the longtime listeners, viewers that uh, have an interest in that know this. Um, it's not, you know, for everyone. So know that going in, please don't bring your comments back here that you don't like it. Make your comments there. Uh, I'm not interested if you like it or don't like it. Uh, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a product. It's a service that some folks like, and, uh, that I use to get out information. That's not, um, we can't put out on mainstream type platforms. So having said that, uh, let's get into this week's news and um, update. So we know about the ongoing, we're now in a full-blown energy crisis. There's no doubt about it. I think we've been talking about this for a while. I've been priming you folks for this for over a year. It's starting to come, unfortunately, to fruition. I'm not sitting here gleefully rubbing my hands together about what good fortune we have. Um, I don't control public policy. No one calls me, no one cares what I think. So it's my objective or my responsibility to talk about things and try to forecast based on my experience, based on what I'm seeing so that we can take advantage of it. Uh, there's no reason to just sit here and uh, not take advantage of it. I don't look at that as being parasitical. I don't look at it as a bad thing. I didn't create the problem and I have to get my people through this, my tribe through this, um, the tribe being you folks that listen to this. And I try to make, we, we got to make money, right? We got to go out and hunt and we got to, uh, we, we only eat if we kill. So um, I hate to be that blunt about it, but there are tens of millions of people that are being put into bad circumstances right now with what's going on in this country and around the world. Um, and for many people, I will tell you that the things that we've discussed on here and some of the ideas and trades that we've talked about have changed people's lives financially and have allowed people to have more options. Let's put it that way. And that's really the whole goal 
of wealth creation is to give us more options, give us more control of our time for whatever reason we want to use it for family, uh, church, you know, stapling cardboard to sticks and protesting, whatever it is that you want to do uh, so that you're not beholden. So you have choices, you have options. That's really the whole thing. It's not so we can flex with a Rolex or get a Lambo or make videos of us with, you know, four or five, you know, Instagram models flying on a Learjet. I, I guess folks are into that. It's their, their business, but it's to give us options and allow us to do things and take care of people that we want to take care of. So that's the whole idea. So here we are. Um, this is, you know, come on, man. That's uh, Joe Biden. You know, when he was on his no malarkey tour, he used to say stuff like this when he thought something was strange or weird or, or, or goofy. And so we have a, uh, you know, report from Reuters here. The White House asks U.S. oil and gas companies to help lower fuel costs, LOL. I like what this particular guy says, Greek Fire 23 off Twitter. That's like punching a guy in the face, then asking him to help you move out of your apartment. And it is really because this administration has come in beholden to the progressive left wing, the proto-Marxists, the Bolsheviks, the uh, twits and nitwits and unthinking uh, people in their party that want to you know, shut off fossil fuels, want to get rid of oil and gas, want to get rid of coal, want to have this great leap forward to the green energy nirvana with no idea how to get from A to Z. Just shut everything down and it'll just happen because we can centrally plan it and we can just dictate it by passing legislation. Um, now we're finding out that that's not true. And so now we have the administration, we've reported on this in the past, going to Saudi Arabia, begging them and OPEC to pump more oil. Now they're asking US oil and gas companies to help lower fuel costs. You know, good luck with this. I mean, the oil and gas companies have been um, demonized. They have been used as whipping posts. They've been used as political fodder by this administration and by people seeking power. And now as the uh, fuel prices are heading into an energy crisis, this is going to tank their little plans. It's going to tank their political careers. I can tell you right now, uh, the forecast that I'm looking at uh, looks like some warming time here in the next couple of weeks. But uh, as we thought might happen, early arrival of uh, cold temperatures in November, below average in the US. And so you're going to see, I think, over the next 10 years, a realignment of the world, not necessarily the way yet you think is the best, but it's going to happen. Um, this, is, this is ridiculous. These people in government wanted this. They wanted fossil fuels to go away. They're not thinking. They're not capable of thinking. They don't have the backgrounds or the knowledge. They're just politicians. They're there to grift. They're there to get rich. They're there to get power. And now it's turning against them. And I can tell you that, you know, there's a good chance unfortunately, that a lot of people are going to suffer uh, this winter if it's bad, like I think, not just in the U.S., but around the world. You have natural gas prices at all-time highs in some places around the world. You have coal at all-time highs. You have shortages of coal in India and China, which is a primary fuel there going into winter. You have uh, explosions in prices in oil. We have oil now, WTI, well over $80 a barrel. Um, Brent closing in on $85 a barrel. Is it a little bit overbought? Yes. Um, but, you know, I still see people, you know, 
denying that this is happening. And it's, it is happening. And so, you know, we've demonized it, we've beat it down. And the executives in the U.S. have already said, you know, Pioneer, we reported on, Oxy, both the CEOs have said that there's no appetite to go out and drill. Their deal is to, you know, maintain production as best they can, blow down the production, cash flow, and return cash to shareholders. Why would you go out now? I mean, you know, on the campaign trail, as part of the manifesto, the DNC and this administration said they were going to get rid of fossil fuels. That we have to go now because it's politically hurting them in the polls. I mean, this administration's collapsing in the polls. So now we're going to go hat in hand after we've, you know, uh, turned our back on Saudi Arabia. Um, now that we've demonized, because it was politically expedient, the fossil fuel industry in the United States and the whole West, now we're going to go to them and tell them, hey, can you bail us out, guys? And this is this is really a good analogy. It's like punching a guy in the face and asking to help you move out of your apartment. And so when gas is already, I've seen people are putting things on Twitter, high $3, $4.25, $5 a gallon right now. And I will tell you that we are definitely heading for over $100 a barrel. It's going to happen. I don't know how high. And another thing people need to realize is that um, prices for gasoline and these things, they're not, it's inelastic. And that means that you have to pay. You have to go where you need to go. Um, so people have to pay. And so they're eventually, I think, if prices stay high enough and are um, sustained for a long enough period, capitalism will work if it's allowed to work. But these politicians can't keep their grubby little hands off it. You know, already they were talking about doing releases from the SPR. Well, that's not going to work. That's not a panacea. That's a limited amount. Then they were talking about banning oil exports, banning natural gas exports. These things aren't going to work. These are just more distortions that are created in the market. It has nothing to do with how much oil we produce. It's the type of oil that we produce relative to what can be processed in the refineries in the United States. And so if you don't have this knowledge because you don't know anything and you've never been anywhere and you've never done anything because all you do is just respond to the left wing of your party. As we speak, there's people trying to break into the Interior Department today, left wing activists, a couple hundred there protesting with pieces of paper on sticks about that the administration is not advancing to a Green New Deal fast enough for them. They're trying to break into the Interior Department. You're not seeing that on the news. It's on Twitter. Is that an insurrection? That's just a protest. And, you know, they're, they're complaining because they've only got two or three minutes or four minutes with Biden to talk about their agenda. Yeah, because right now his his political fortunes are going down the drain. OK, he, he, he wiped off on him, used him for what he needed to get elected. And now, you know, he's trying to stay afloat or whoever's controlling things, Susan Rice and Barack Obama, whoever is, you know, writing the cue cards for Joe to read. And so we have a bunch of people that really don't know how things work uh, with their hands on the levers and pushing the buttons. And, you know, it's just like Goss plan. We've talked about this before, the Soviet Union. You cannot get in there and, you know, manipulate things and cause distortions. And they start piling up distortion upon distortion, market manipulations, market distortions. And then you have this big mess. And I can tell you right now, uh, I'm not so much concerned about the prices because it'll benefit us. People are going to suffer. People are going to suffer if things are as bad as I think. I've already seen articles where people are having to choose between food and fuel in the UK, for example. And, you know, 
this is this could this whole thing could set off revolutions in, in developing countries. You know, people in the developing world don't live like you, where you only spend you know ten percent of your your earnings or five percent or whatever on food and fuel. You know, half their money goes for this or more. They're living hand to mouth, and so when food prices go up thirty or forty percent like they have this year, um, you know that's a problem, and the governments fall over this. So you know. This, this is kind of funny in one way because they're getting what they exactly, you know, people don't get what they, what they deserve. They get what they, what, you know, the people get what they deserve, not what they want. And this administration is doing everything wrong, okay, and then expecting, you know, a, a different result. It's, it's just, it's asinine. It's sad. So article in Zero Hedge uh, talking about uh, links to these articles. Uh, I will get the links on this week. Uh, last week, I got Caddy Wampus and deleted the links before I got them on there, but I'll, I'll do that. It's really important for me to put the links of where I'm getting this information so you guys can go look at this stuff yourself and see if, you know, I'm distorting the facts, you know, if I have a different view. And if you have a different view, I mean, I don't, this is not me, you know, sermon on the mount where I'm, you know, telling you and you don't know. Uh, this is a conversation. This is I'm just a guy on the internet. It's one man's opinion. So, uh, article on Zero Hedge talking about uranium, the most asymmetric trade for the coming years. This is what the hedge funds are saying now. Well, we've been saying this for since this channel's been up. That's why we have, you know, uh, stocks closing in on thousand percent gains. But, you know, this is what we needed to see, right, for us to really supercharge things and get things really moving uh, to a real bull market. You know, the smart money, us, was in very early, and we had to sit there, and we had to have the doubts, and we had to, you know, wonder if we were right, and we had to parse every piece of information and, uh, you know, run it through, uh, the, you know, run it through our brain back and forth, back and forth, you know, is this, you know, and, you know, now it's, it's happening in real time. And so now uh, opportunistic money's coming in, generalist investors, hedge funds, uh, family offices. So what, what's the article say? The recent global energy crisis has once again turned global attention to nuclear power as an efficient alternative to unreliable green energy. I didn't say that, they did in the article. With countries from Japan to Finland and France hinting they are making preparations to restart MPPs, nuclear power plants. Yeah, that's what we've been seeing. Macron in France gave a big speech this week recommitting to nuclear and saying that they're going to continue building it out, the small modular reactors and, and such. Uh, Finland, uh, similar. Japan, we'll talk about that in a slide later. As the FT wrote overnight, after years of stagnant prices, a 37% rally in prices for nuclear fuel uranium has helped attract investors back to the sector. Funds such as Ben Melkman's New York-based Light Sky Macro, Anchorage Capital, and Tribeca Investment Partners, who have emerged as positive on the outlook for the raw material, as a global energy crunch highlights the role of nuclear power in a trans transition away from fossil fuels. And echoing what we said a month ago, uh, this drops down, Crayford said that, quote, the political fallout of this energy crisis will be greater willingness in the West to extend the life of the existing reactor fleet. It has focused governments on the benefits of secure, supply of energy from the nuclear free fleet. We expect that to lend support to prices. And this is what we've been talking about, right? We've talked about energy security is going to end up being the, not the transition to uh, unreli un 
unreliables or rebuildables, the conversation is going to shift to energy security because you're going to see political turmoil. You're going to you're in the middle of a fourth turning anyways. OK, and you're going to see if if I goes down like I think um, tremendous amount of political turmoil as it relates to uh, if we have an energy crisis, if it, if it continues on for any length of time and people starts really feeling the pain. And uh, I think people have just about had enough of the post-World War II uh, scam artists, neoliberal scam artists. And uh, Davos man is uh, seeing his dreams slip between his fingers uh, based on uh, this winter. It could be a good thing, actually. But this is, uh, this is what we were hoping for, right? As a generalist investor, we take positions early in asymmetric uh, positions. Typically, nothing happens because we're usually us and two other people are the only ones looking at the deal. And then as the thing slowly starts gaining some traction, then you start seeing the big money. You get a 37% rally in prices. This is exactly what we thought would happen. The big money will start rolling in. And so it starts creating that flywheel effect, if you will, as Justin Hume talked about. Uh, it starts feeding on itself and uh, it begets more positive news, higher returns, yada, 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 until you get into a full-blown uh, bull market and eventually a blow-off bubble. So as we talk about oil, one of the things that uh, there's a thesis out there that's growing and uh, more um, becoming more mainstream, if you will, is the fact of questioning, you know, the call on OPEC will become important now as oil prices return to their pre-pandemic highs and make new highs in the first quarter of next year. Um, as we've already talked about several times, and I just mentioned in this video, and I talked about it extensively last week, is that US, US shale companies are not going to respond. They've made it quite clear, at least currently, that could change in the future. Anything can change. I, I suggest that if oil prices get to $120, $150 a barrel, uh, if that happens, uh, I suggest to you that uh, people will be looking to bring on new wells. Already, a lot of private operators, your wildcatters, they're out and the, they're out there drilling right now, but that's not going to be sufficient to deal with the um, declines that we see every year and the new uh, the new um, demand that's coming down the pipeline, so to speak. And so what we're seeing is, is that many OPEC countries are past peak oil. So here's a, a couple of charts I'll show you in some commentary. Both Nigeria and Angola reached these are big oil, big players in OPEC. Both Nigeria and Angola reached their respective peak oil years ago and won't be able to increase production easily. Nigeria internal consumption is also rising, leaving even less to export. It's happening in many producers and exploration investment keeps falling since 2014. Again, as I've said probably 15,000 times, extractive industries require constant new capital to find and produce the, the, the new resources to replace the ones that were extracted. And this is the situation we're in. You're even in a, in a, to exacerbate this, at least in Nigeria's point of view, you have consumption inside Nigeria increasing. This is exactly what we saw happen in Mexico, okay? Mexico was a major player exporter. Um, it's been in decline um, and they have not been able to recover. Okay, the previous administration there was trying to privatize the oil industry, trying to bring in capital, and the new regime took over, 
and they decide to reverse all that. And so state-owned state companies are very slow to be able to do this. These countries are, are developing countries for the most part. They're relying on the revenue from oil to not only, well, the politicians are stealing a certain amount of it, obviously, but they're relying on it to, to pay the freight, if you will, for the social programs and to keep themselves in power, to keep the populace, you know, and bred the circuses. And so, you know, in the salad days, that was great, but now you have to keep investing and they haven't been able to do that or they've chosen not to do it. And now we're seeing all across the world in a lot of basins uh, declines. And so it's not just in Nigeria, it's in Angola also. And, you know, these are not positive trends. As I said before, you know, if you take this, uh, as Exxon has said uh, in a paper, you know, assume six to seven percent natural decline across the whole world collectively if you get at 100 million barrels you have to find another six seven million barrels a year just to replace what 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 has depleted plus add on growth of one to one and a half percent that's another seven million barrels so you're looking for you know almost a new iraq or saudi arabia every year each and every year. And that's hundreds and hundreds of, that's seven, $800 billion a year of new capital that has, or recycled capital or capital is be invested that has not been happening. We have not seen that for many, many years. And so the declines have caught up with us. And then we had this fantasy that was promulgated by Davos man and various uh, inept and stupid politicians that said, well, we don't need to do that because we're going to go to a new green era, the great leap forward to the green energy and zero carbon. Oops, something happened on the way to Nirvana. And we found out that uh, if you don't have any common sense or if you read about energy transitions like I have, they don't just happen in a year or over the term of an administration or a two-year congressional cycle. They happen over decades. And so no thought was given that, you know, we have to have a policy to uh, get us there. We're having central planning where the government's going to decide the winners. If you're really serious about this, you just put a big carbon tax on it and let the market figure it out. But, you know, politicians don't like the market, right? Because, you know, it gives them outcomes that aren't positive for their political career. If you put a $50, if you put a $20, $50 a barrel tax on oil, and the price of gasoline went to seven or eight dollars a gallon. That will solve the problem over five to ten years, but you won't be empowered. You'll be you'll some demagogue will come along because Bubis doesn't want any pain, doesn't want to change. Okay, and somebody will come along and tell them they don't have to change, and so that's who they'll vote for. So you know this is how this it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. it. Doesn't matter what I want to happen. It doesn't matter what I think should happen. It only matters what's going to happen. And you're going to have a full blown energy crisis that's going to be very very bad, my opinion. And uh, there'll be chances most people will suffer, and some people will make generational wealth that will be able to get them and their family members and friends and people they care about over over the hump. It's that simple, really. This isn't going to solve itself unless tremendous amounts of investment are made. You know, going and begging Saudi Arabia to pump more oil isn't going to do it. They can't pump any more oil. Okay, they're constrained. They're oil for you should read Twilight in the Desert by Matt Simmons, where he tried to go in. He was a guy that knew a lot about Saudi Arabia. He's died of a heart attack pretty soon after he published that. It was back in the um, like 2010. 
maybe 10 years ago or more. And he was talking about peak oil. And that kind of went away right after the shale. This little shale phenomenon we had over the last eight to 10 years really obfuscated the fact that, you know, this depleting asset that we really need to think about and how important it is to our life and our modern life and how it sustains civilization, allows for civilization, and how we've taken it for granted and squandered it. And now we're going to find out that uh, the hard way. So again, our thesis is now going mainstream um, that there's an energy crisis. Uh, this is Javier Bloss. Please follow him on Twitter. He's very, very plugged in to the energy. He has a pretty good book too about the resource market and some of these things we talk about. I find most of his tweets are very, very uh, informative and useful. But uh, here's what he says. Here's the, uh, he's quoting the IEA here. IEA, International Energy uh, Administration or Agency, that was uh, basically put into effect after the uh, Arab oil embargoes of the early 70s when prices spiked the first time, says on its monthly market report that, quote, ongoing energy crisis, unquote. They said it. The IEA is saying that the ongoing energy crisis will boost oil demand by 500,000 barrels a day over the next six months as record gas, coal, and electricity prices trigger fuel switching. Global oil demand in 2022 to rise to a record high, by the way. Yep, that's exactly right. So you're already seeing it, right? Um, you're seeing fuel switching, uh, people that can burn. You know, we've talked about in power plants how if you have a dual fuel boiler or if you change out the burners or the guns in the burner, sometimes you can shift between uh, oil and gas or pulverized coal. Uh, pl some plants are set up for this, not all of them. But that's happening. People are going out and buying their own generators. Um, if you're a manufacturing facility in China or Vietnam or one of these places or India, you know, and you don't have, you know, the grid keeps going up and down and you're trying to meet your orders or trying to keep your business run, you know, you're going to go get yourself a 3608 cat or something. And you're going to put that sucker on a skid next to your building, hotwire it in to your distro box and try to run that sucker off diesel. And that's what's going to happen. And you, you extrapolate that across major portions of the of the world and that's how, i actually think it'll be higher than 500,000 barrels a day i've seen estimates of a million to a million and a half barrels a day and one outlier of 2 million barrels a day i mean this is you know this is really happening and the iea is now saying that something we've been saying for a while so it's going mainstream the general investors are shifting back the best performing sector in the market this year is in fact energy. It's that simple. And if you're not in that sector, you're, you know, you're gonna get clipped if you're in a general running a generalist fund. And no one's gonna care about ESG and all this crap. They care about bot the bottom line is always the bottom line. Sorry, not sorry. So we've talked about this before. Um, the elections in Japan, they're very positive for the reemergence of the nuclear industry, the generation industry, uh, nuclear generation industry in Japan, uh, linked to this article also. A decade has passed since the nuclear reactor disaster at Fukushima in Japan, but something, well, seismic seems to be unfolding in Japanese politics. The country has a new prime minister, Fumio Kishida who seems ready to turn the page on the country's post-Fukushima shutdown of its nuclear power industry. 
it's not because he seems he has no choice or the country is not is going to be starved for energy. They can't, the LNG prices are through the roof. They're the, I, I, I've told you this. They're the equivalent of 200 to $250 barrel oil. No economy can run on that for very long. So he has no choice. And what we've talked about before is we're shifting away from an era of plenty to an era of scarcity because of the lack of investment, because of the dumb choices we made by listening to people that weren't qualified and allowing them to make policy. And we're going to pay the price for that now. It can be fixed and it will be fixed, but it's going to take a tremendous amount of effort and capital and time. Last week, industry minister, I can't pronounce these guys' names, said nuclear power was, quote, indispensable when we think about how we can ensure a stable and affordable electrical supply while addressing climate change. Okay, they don't, they always stick that in there about climate change. They're more worried about stable and affordable electricity because if the lights go out in Japan and stay off, that's a first world country. The people will not accept it. It's that simple. They could care less about global emissions. Sitting there in January in Tokyo or Yokohama or Osaka uh, is not going to be acceptable. It's just that simple. They're not going to riot the Japanese, but they will, you know, people respond uh, to these things. Okay. When people start having to feel pain, uh, they will respond. He had a simple pledge. The government probably will not build anything new, but quote, we will work to restart Japan's nuclear. Well, I can't my nuclear reactors. So yeah, they don't have a choice. I don't believe this either. I think what you'll see is they'll start the re reactors. Some more time will go by. Then they'll slowly, you know, start building out. Japan is in a unique situation is that it has basically no natural resources of its own. If you study the origins of World War II and Japanese expansionism in the 30s in, the, in East Asia and in Manchuria, it was a resource grab. They were starved for resources. So instead of trading and seeking mutual advantage, they just went in and took the stuff. So I don't say that's going to happen now, but what I'm trying to tell you is they don't have resources. I lived in Japan for three years in the late 80s. And it doesn't make me a Japan expert, but I saw that, you know, it's very, very, very efficiently run economy. Everything runs fine uh, on time. Um, it's clean. And that requires a tremendous amount of energy, right? What is energy? We use it constructively to hold back entropy and chaos. And so uh, we can't, you're not going to have blackouts there, chronic blackouts and all this stuff. It's just not going to be acceptable. So the Japanese people, I think, will uh, fall in line on this and uh, you'll see. And this is something that was necessarily, uh, I think, fully incorporated into people's models, right? We kind of had this vague notion that Japanese reactors would come back online at some point, but we were never really sure what the timeline was in this. So Japan is, you're seeing this just overall in the world everywhere, right? Everybody is going to nuclear now. Everybody's going back to it. And this is very bullish for us in uranium. There simply isn't going to be enough uranium. Now, there's plenty of uranium in the earth. We're not going to run out of uranium again. You can't just snap your fingers and create a uranium mine. So this represents a window of opportunity where a tremendous amount of wealth is going to be created. So Patrick Moore was one of the founders of Greenpeace. I follow him on Twitter too. Um, kind of a voice of you know, reason, if you will, an environmentalist, a conservationist, but not crazy about it. 
not just, you know, let's go back and live like hobbits type nonsense. And so he talks uh, about this paper, which I'll put a link to. Uh, Professor, I can't pronounce this guy's name, either states that achieving net zero policy is, quote, almost certain to fail. I would drop the almost. It is certainly certain to fail with no ifs, ands, or buts about it, period. Um, I'll put a link to the paper that uh, Professor Galgotki wrote. This kind of dovetails into the interview I did with Professor Michael Kelly, Professor Emeritus of Engineering at Cambridge, where he wrote a paper um, that's similar to this professor's. And what's interesting is these guys are not scientists. Dr. Kelly and this, and this professor are not scientists, they're engineers, okay? It's fascinating to see what scientists say one thing, these, you know, visions of, you know, Tom Swift and Elon Musk are gonna save us and the, the things they concoct in the lab. And then real life engineers who have to put the math to it and say, there's not any way to make this really work in real life. And that's what's so fascinating. The scientists say one thing, yes, you know, we can sit here and pontificate and show you in the lab how we could get there. But the engineers are then like, well, how is this supposed to happen in real life? I can't do this. There's not enough material. Uh, your, 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 the losses on the energy conversion. I mean, it just goes on and on. The paper's only about 14 or 20 pages. I'll put a link to it. I'll also put a link to the interview I did with Professor Kelly. I believe it was about six months ago or maybe a year ago. Um, it's the same thing. It's like, they can't figure out how you get there. And they're not dumb guys. These guys are like Oxford and Cambridge, you know, educated engineer professors of engineering, and they can't figure it out. So it's not just John saying that. So I don't necessarily agree with everything in the paper. Some of the stuff is a little bit, uh, a couple of things are like not really relevant, but you know, the overall gist is how do you get from A to Z? No one can explain how to do that. And so we've ignored what works and it's going to now it's, it's jumping up and buying us in the butt because we ignored it for so long, i.e., you know, fossil fuels are having a rational discussion about, you know, energy policy. And quite frankly, energy security. And that's what we're going to talk about here. Here is a uh, excerpt and I'll go and uh, share a better easier to see so I can read it. Okay, this was a paper from the Chinese Communist Party talking about some of the things we've been talking about. This is Premier uh, Li Kuiqing chair, chairing the meeting of National Energy Commission. This is in China. This is a press release. And look down here, right? Um, As industrialization and urbanization advance further at the current stage, energy demand will inevitably continue to grow and supply shortage is the biggest energy insecurity. Energy security should be the premise on which a modern energy system is built and the capacity for energy self-supply should be enhanced. Given the predominant place of coal in the country's energy and resource endowment, it is important to optimize the layout for the coal production capacity. Build advanced coal-fired power plants as appropriate in line with development needs and continue to phase out outdated coal plants in an orderly fashion. Does that give you any indication that they're moving to net zero? They just told you they're gonna build more coal plants. Now they're going to 
could hopefully get rid of the most dirty ones or put bag houses and, you know, and scrubbers on their stacks, but who's to say? What else do they say? Domestic oil and gas exploration development will be intensified. Does that sound like net zero to you? Does that sound like they're on board with uh, the Green New Deal? Now, they do note further on in here that they're going to pull out the stops on everything, green energy, everything else. But they're not going, China's not going away from fossil fuels. They can't. No country can currently. So I just wanted to bring this up. I'll put a link to it. Um, what I always have said, and most of you guys know this, um, I've said, watch what people say or do, not what they say, right? So this whole concept of energy security as being the MO going forward, and you're not just hearing China say that, you're gonna hear more and more of discussion. Uh, they're always gonna throw on the end, like we did in that other quote with the Japanese, uh, in order to meet our climate change goals. But you know, they're never gonna admit they were wrong or they're gonna get away from it, okay? They're gonna to try to have their cake and eat it too, and they're not gonna be able to do it, okay? And so the investment now into energy security will be, I think, the winning ticket going forward. And politicians that emphasize that over a Green New Deal, I think, are going to find themselves being advantaged at the polls. Um, it's just that simple. People are not going to put up or tolerate, even in China, which is a totalitarian. Well, it's not really. It is to a certain extent. Things are controlled. But even they understand that, you know, even in a totalitarian regime, you still have to have the general acquiescence of the population. If they're starving in the dark, um, that's not going to work out for the CCP, just like it won't work out for Davos, man. Central planning doesn't work, folks. And Davos, man, had a plan and it's not going to work. This winner is going to put, put one of the nails in the coffin. So to go on about what I was talking about, they're supposed to have a big... Um, climate change summit coming up. Xi Jinping expected to snub UK summit on climate crisis. Oops. Boris Johnson has been told that President Xi of China will not attend next month's critical climate change conference in Glasgow amid international pessimism that the event will be successful. Of course it's not. They just told you they're going to keep building coal. They're going to keep intensifying exploration for oil and gas. They're still going to go all around the world and cut deals and make sure that the lights don't go out in China. Remember what we talked about a couple of videos ago? Make sure there's sufficient energy at, quote, any price, pay any price that you have to to ensure that goal. In a setback to the ambitions of the COP26 summit, the prime minister has been advised by diplomats that Xi is not expected to join more than 100 other world leaders, including President Biden. So are the Chinese committed to <laughs> zero? I mean, come on. It's time to wake up. Watch what people say or do, not what they say. The green mask is coming off the Chinese. It's already off the Indians. They've already told us. They don't care. We have a right to industrialize, and we're going to use fossil fuels to do it. Suck on it. So, you know, and th this is like together, you know, 3 billion people almost half the world's population, basically telling you to suck on it. In the meantime, we commit, we're committing economic seppuku by, with carbon taxes and destroying our uh, 
our oil and gas sectors in Canada, the United States. And, uh, you know, the problem is, is what most people don't understand. In order to have real net zero, in order to get these goals made, your standard of living needs to drop massively. Okay, that's what it means. Less energy usage. That's ultimately what it means. Are you prepared for that? So when you go come outside the grocery store with your kid and somebody standing with some person with blue hair and rings in their nose is asking you if you're if you want to do something about climate change, you should ask them, well, how much is it going to cost? Because everybody wants to be against climate change. Looking at little shavers in the car, rubbing them on his head. I want a better future for you, shavers. Of course, I don't want the world to burn up. But are you? But we already know from other polling that you don't want to pay for it, and you certainly don't want your living standard cut in half. That's what it would take. That's the calculations that they haven't told you that though. Okay, they just told you that this is you know we're going to do this and it's for everybody's benefit. And oh by the way, more than likely your your standard of living needs to go down drastically anywhere from 30 to 75%. Are you ready for that? Well, you're not. Are you willing to pay for it? No, you're not. And so the Chinese and Indians are not going to go that route. And so anything we do will be nullified by them. So why should we put ourselves at a disadvantage with people, uh, especially the Chinese who are competing against around the world uh, and they're in ascension wanting to assert themselves over the entire globe. And we're, doing everything we can to blow our, you know, cutting our arms and legs off. It makes no sense. And I think that uh, the old feckless, I talked about this in the reality check last week. I, I, I compared the leadership in the United States, the old um, people, 81 year old, 80 year old Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden stumbling, bumbling around 78 years old, the old line post-World War II boomer, um, leadership that's ineffective, feckless, neoliberal world order to self-enrich themselves and their friends in, in big business, that's going away. People have had enough of that. It, I, I compared it to the old Soviet apparatchiks at the end of the Soviet Union, Brezhnev, Cherienko, and Dropov. They used to stand up there, all these old men, and one would drop like, a, and then the next one would be in there for six months, and then you wouldn't see him, and then here comes another one who's staggering up there. It was just doomed, just like this is doomed. We're going to have a change in leadership, and hopefully it'll be people that uh, understand what's really going on and uh, not a bunch of old, ineffective, self-dealing uh, people, which is what we have now. All right, last slide. Uh, is the tide turning in tankers? I think so. Why? I already told you that I think we're going to be at record oil demand next year. Oil demand is going to continue increasing. OPEC keeps lifting their production. Um, that requires more tankers. And now we're hopefully finally seeing a cycle of scrapping of tankers. Uh, this is the most tankers that have been scrapped um, since, you know, back in 2018. Uh, this is positive. Hopefully this continues this trend and we get these old tankers out of there because, you know, as I've talked about before, I think that we are due for a, for a super cycle uh, in this. And I think that uh, when oil demand and oil supply keep, continues to increase, or they try to increase it at least, um, the ability to move the oil around uh, will hopefully lead to a, uh, a recovery in tanker rates. And so I just wanted to get this up there. September saw the most oil tankers sent for scrapping since 2018. So we'll see if this trend continues. I did notice that uh, over the last few weeks, the 
the oil tanker stocks have been rallying. Uh, I don't know if that's just in a general commodity thing or rallying with oil prices. I don't know. Um, I really haven't seen a lot of news or information about rates, but um, hopefully this uh, trend continues. This is one of the underperforming sectors in our portfolio, but I've held on to it because I have this view that um, that eventually uh, the rest of the shipping industry is basically booming, and I suspect that uh, tankers will will eventually catch a bid, and we could see some uh, head turning returns. All right, guys, uh, I believe that's this. Yes, that's it for this week. Uh, appreciate your support. Appreciate the viewership. Um, it's the channel continues to grow. I hope this is useful to you. Uh, we're going to keep doing this. Um, and like I said, if you're interested in uh, how we're turning these ideas, how we're getting ahead of the curve and beating the big hedge funds uh, and getting into these things well before they do, uh, consider a subscription to the Actionable Intelligence Alert newsletter. It's $150 per year, 12 issues, the back issues, the commentary. Um, I think you'll find it useful and you'll find that uh, we get a lot on these trends a lot earlier than everybody else. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Take care and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.